Hello everybody and welcome to episode 2 of the Farscape Rewatch podcast. We didn't break down. No, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. Everything's fine. We got away from the peacekeepers. But yes, it's episode 2 of the Farscape Rewatch podcast. I am your host Cartwright Hats. And joining me is Red Nightmare. Hello. Hey. Yes, so it's uh, episode 2. Last time we went over the pilot of uh, Farscape and this time we are going to be talking about the episode IET, which is definitely episode two, and not episode four or episode <laughs> seven. Well, the the reason I say that is because that in uh, the UK and the US it was broadcast out of order. Uh, it was broadcast, I think, the fourth episode in the UK and the seventh episode in the US. Wait, there's even a difference between those two? Yeah, exactly. There, oh, it's God. it's not only out of sequence with the production oh. order. It's different between the US and the UK. It's a, it's a whole mess. Is there a country where they started in Seasons 3? There has to be a country where they started in Season 3. <laughs> I'm sure there was. I would be. I wonder if it was actually broadcast in the correct order on Australian television. I, maybe, oh. Maybe it was. <laughs> Who I knows? Whether it was broadcast here in the Netherlands. Mm. Mm. But regardless, for all intents and purposes, this is Episode 2, uh, IET, which... We'll talk about this later, but it really makes more sense as the second episode, where nobody really knows each other still. Yeah. And last time, the premiere was... It was full of lots of information. There was a lot of ground to cover. And this, comparatively, IET is way, way more laid back. And I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought it was... Really good. Yeah, this is a fun episode. It starts off with, well, (laughs) a lot of noise. (laughs) There's apparently some sort of alarm going off, and I like that Crichton is like, why is my eye twitching? Why <laughs> yeah. is it doing this? Yeah, there's this very shrill alarm going throughout the whole of Moya, and everyone is, you know, obviously very upset. But for some reason, like, <laughs> Crichton's eye is just like another quirk of his human biology or something. <laughs> might be doing something to my brain. Wait, is it doing something to my brain? <laughs> yeah. I think the line is, yeah, it can't melt my brain, can it? <laughs> right? It can't melt my brain. <laughs> But yeah, we find out from Pilot, who manages to shut the sound off, thankfully, but it's a, what's called a Padak Beacon, which is broadcasting a signal to Peacekeepers, since they removed the Leviathan's control collar in the last episode. It's, it's sort of a, um, a dead man switch, as long as it doesn't get regular updates from the caller, it just starts beeping. Yeah, and if they let it continue, then obviously peacekeepers are going to find them, mm-hmm. which they don't want because, as we remember, they're a ship of escaped prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're trying to figure out how to get rid of it, and it turns out that DRDs, the little robot things that we saw in the first episode, they can't actually get near it. It's built in with a failsafe so that leviathans can't actually remove it themselves. Yeah, it gets blown. The DRD is cheerily uh, moving closer to it, and it just gets blown up. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, whoa, okay, this is serious business. So they can't figure out how to shut it off, and they're really starting to panic until John suggests, why don't we land on that planet nearby and just dunk it in some water to insulate the signal? Yeah, it's like, it's basically, it's making the whole of Moya vibrate, sending out the signal, and they're like, well, let's just put it in water. That'll that'll solve the problem, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so they have to make a rather hasty landing on the nearby planet. Actually... It turns out to be a big deal for a Leviathan. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. That Leviathans are living ships who are bred and live in space, in you know, zero gravity. 
Mm-hmm. So they're not really meant to cope with planetary gravity. And Pilot tells us that there's stories of, or well, young leviathans will play with a planet's gravity, getting closer and closer to the surface, you know, as a sort of like a dare, and then pulling mm-hmm. away. But there's a story of a very old uh, male leviathan that did manage to land, but uh, no one knows if it's true or not. So this is oh. yeah, untested waters for a leviathan. <laughs> ah, I see what you mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I did think that was a really nice like detail of... Because there is a kind of thing in science fiction of ships can just go in and out of atmosphere and gravity and can handle that all perfectly fine and can handle being underwater and stuff. And then actually it's not quite so simple, you know, Mm. it's, it's really not. And I like that they played that up and said, no, no. Okay. Landing Moya is not easy. (laughs) Actually something you, she's not supposed to do. Yeah. And we're not even sure if it's going to work, but they take her down in. Quite an, a nice, uh, sort of fairly straightforward CGI sequence of them going down over mm. the planet. It looked pretty cool. Yeah, again, like the CGI hasn't dated that badly because no. they use it fairly sparingly. <laughs> they use it when it's needed. They also don't combine it with actual live uh, footage that yeah. much. Yeah, the sequence basically cuts back and forth a couple of times of the ship going down and everybody sort of bracing for impact and shaking in that in that good old sort of Star Trek fashion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like everybody goes side to side. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend like you're being hit. And so they crash on the planet in basically what is the middle of a swamp. Yeah. What's a bit like Dagobah? <laughs> it does. Yeah, there's a very, there's a cute sort of line of John standing outside of Moya because they, you know, get out to have a look around and he says, it looks like Louisiana or Dagobah. <laughs> Aaron sort of looks at him and is like, what the hell is Dagobah? He's like, oh, it's where Yoda lives. And it's like, who's Yoda? Tiny Green Man, uh, Trains Warriors. <laughs> and she's like, oh. Like, that's not even unusual. She's like, oh, okay. That's, that sounds about right. And and I, think, I think this is the start of John basically pretending like all the science fiction yeah. on Earth is actually real. Well, Never yeah. t- letting him in on the joke. Yeah, exactly. He's heavy on the, on the sci-fi fiction references. Also something, there's a little bit of meta humor in that because, well, who, who made uh, Yoda... Ah. The Jim Henson company who has been making all of the puppets and effects for Farscape. So. Ah, nice. But anyway, they find out that they have to cut out the beacon from Moya. It's still broadcasting. Yeah. So they haven't really fixed the problem. They've just delayed things because it's broadcasting, but the signal isn't going anywhere because they're trapped under a bunch of mud. Oh, partially under. Uh, partially under. But they can't leave because, you know, the beacon is still there. And so they manage to... Talk Rigel into removing the beacon. Well, part of it. There's also the the plot that they need some sort of anesthetic. Well, yeah, here's the thing. It's like, the DRDs can't go near the beacon, so they ask Rigel to do it, because he's very small and he can fit inside the little corridor where it is. But because, again, remember, Moya is a living ship, so this, is, this isn't just maintenance, this is surgery. And so... Rigel goes in and tries to cut parts of it out, and that is going to cause Moya intense pain. Mm-hmm. So they realize that, okay, well, is there anything we can use to numb the pain as, a, as an anesthetic? And Pilot tells them that, yes, there's, there's something called chlorium. They, chlorium? Yeah, which is made-up space element. <laughs> I also like that it, they talk about it's one of the seven forbidden substances, things that Leviathans can't carry yeah. as cargo. Yeah, that is sort of rules put in by peacekeepers who have trapped and, you know, contain 
Leviathan saying that, no, you can't transport that because it's an anesthetic and it numbs them. Which is probably not very smart with a living ship, if you well, want to fly it properly. I think there's there's kind of, I, I thought anyway, there's a subtext that the reason they don't let them carry it is not because just having it on board would numb the Leviathan, but because then it can't be used for anesthetic on Leviathans to do exactly what they're doing. Oh, that yeah, that makes sense. So it's kind of, it's another form of control. It's like, no, you can't carry this thing that would, you know, allow your pilot or whatever to remove the things we put into you. Mm, that makes sense. So yeah, it's just another form of control from the peacekeepers. Oh, that's, that's, I, I didn't read into that, but that sounds probably... I mean, it sounds like something they would do. <laughs> yeah. So they need to go find some chlorium, which handily is located somewhere on the planet, somewhere nearby. So they send out Dargo, Aaron, and John to go find some. And then they get found. Yeah. This is when the plot actually really starts kicking into mm -hmm. gear. Turns out <laughs> this place is not as abandoned as it looked at first sight. Nope. So they're walking around in this sort of very lush kind of uh, forested area. Probably Louisiana. More likely Australia. Uh, fair point. <laughs> but uh, they've got like a little... It looks for all the world like a big chrome dousing rod, mm. which is their uh, particle uh, analyzer thing to help them Machigas. find. <laughs> yeah, to find where the, the thing is. There's also there's a there's a short scene where Dargo is like this stupid thing doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I am done. I am dumb fighty man. I need to establish dumb fighty. Uh, and then Aaron is like, well, I don't know how to use it. I'm you know I'm a soldier. I'm not a tech person. And then John's just like, well, pilot said you do this and this. Look, it works. <laughs> it's like John proving his usefulness. In a very small way, but it's like, God, these these people that he's with are not really that much more experienced than he is in certain respects. In some ways, they're not that much smarter than he is. No. I just thought it was nice that everyone is kind of a little bit out of their depth. Mm. And not just John. Although John is especially out of his depth. <laughs> so they're searching for the Chlorium. And then there's some vehicles come out of the forest. And men with torches and animals they're not really shown yeah i i was like wait these people have dogs i wait, thought it i thought it was good that they didn't actually show any no. sort of dogs because that would have so that they, they are humanoid people they're, they're your sort of more typical kind of science science fiction like star trek mm -hmm. um aliens with like a little bit of something different like a uh, in this case as we see later they have different shaped sort of earlobes that connect up to their face and there's like yeah a, bit of a bulkier head so you know that's fairly straightforward if they had just a dog with like a funny <laughs> antenna or something that would <laughs> that would really take you out of it <laughs> yeah i like that they silhouetted it from the back uh, uh lit it from the back so the dogs were silhouette yeah so that that's actually a very smart move to be like okay no we can get away with aliens that look kind of like people dogs not so much so anyway they try to cause a distraction to get away and Dargo runs out and just sort of yells at them <laughs> which actually yells in a very alien way it's like yeah. some sort of roar mm. and Aaron is off behind another bush and makes another loud sort of uh, roaring type noise and John runs away because he, he they basically made a distraction so John can go after the Chlorium yeah exactly and so he, he legs it <laughs> he manages to evade the aliens trying to capture him and then uh after we see that the next, it seems like morning, 
by the time he... Uh... Yeah, cause, so when they landed in the swamp, it was basically kind of night time. And then in it... the morning, they uh, he arrives at uh, Stalker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's <laughs> my first thought, it's like, Fallout Stalker. Yeah, it's it's a big kind of slightly run-down barn with a radio antenna uh, next to it. Yeah, basically enormous radio antenna. <laughs> and he's kind of very confused because it looks very Earth-like. It, it really does look like just a barn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's making his way inside and has found the source of the Chlorium, which is in bags piled up in the barn. And <laughs> John is like... Wait, it's fertilizer, apparently? You've been looking for shit, John. You've been <laughs> looking for shit. <laughs> I do like that it's all kind of biological stuff, because Moya is a biological ship. They're not looking mm-hmm. for, like, you know, brake fluid or anything. No. <laughs> or whatever it is. It's like, no, we need something probably organic to fix her. But, of, of course, as he's looking around, who stumbles into the barn but a little alien kid? Named Elliot. No, no, <laughs> no, wait he's a not, minute. He's not Elliot. He's, he's named Foster. <laughs> and John is like, John is trying to hide from Foster, but he steps out and is like, "No, I'm okay. I'm I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm a, I'm a cool alien. It's okay." Yeah. I, oh, oh, by the way, I am an alien. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's cool because you see John realizing that the shoe is on the other foot now. <laughs> yeah, he's the alien in this scenario. Yeah, because the planet they've landed on is not one that is aware of aliens at all. There's, you know, there's a whole galaxy full of alien species that he's already been meeting and who are, you know, traveling off planet and have interstellar travel. These aliens on this planet are kind of stuck in the, I guess, the equivalent of Earth's 1950s or 60s. Uh, I wouldn't say that because some of their weaponry seems to be advanced beyond that. Yeah, but the point is they're still kind of mid to late 20th century Earth level tech. Yeah. So, even though he's out in space, there are still plenty of planets who have no idea about aliens. Nope. (laughs) There's still civilizations that just haven't gone beyond that. Yeah, so he's kind of a little bit bit surprised to be in that position. It's like, wait, I've just discovered a guy, you know, all these aliens who are all hanging out in space, and like, oh, wait, now I get to be the alien. (laughs) Now I'm the one being discovered. (laughs) No, Uh... John, you are the aliens. (laughs) The alien was inside of you all along. <laughs> I've seen that film. <laughs> different movie. Different movie. Different movie. But uh, yeah, actually, Fo- the, then Fostero gets scared by the scanning device he still has. Yeah, and also something else that will be relevant later. As he's sort of scrambling around in the barn, John's communicator falls off. Mm, yeah, good point. And yeah, and then he then Fostero is scared by the uh, device that. You know, it's a, it's a strange-looking thing that makes a load of noise. And it's just beeping and beeping because it's right next to all the chlorium he needs. And it has a pointy end. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, he runs away to get his mother, Linnea, and brings her in to see... No, he brings... Actually, they go up. They go up, don't they? Yes, they go up out of the barn into the house. Mm-hmm. And she, she comes out sort of talking on the telephone about the strange object that was flying through the atmosphere last night and is clearly some kind of alien and then sees John and drops the phone. (laughs) It's like uh... uh, Uh, Oh. (laughs) And then I think 
maybe it's before or after that, but Jill makes some sort of sudden move and she stuns him with the stun gun. Yeah, I guess you're right, actually. Their tech is is advanced in certain other ways, so... Yeah. yeah so they... he basically drops to the floor and he's like, I can't move. <laughs> yeah, they have I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna make full recovery, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Because <laughs> they have what is like a long sort of baton that they point at him and it shoots out a bit of energy at him and he just mm-hmm. totally collapses. Yeah. Really scared. This is permanent damage. Because <laughs> yeah. he's he's very aware of the fact that all this tech was not built to stun him. Well, yeah, I think um, I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but from the looks of it, he gets stunned, and there's actually there's a cut to what w- where would be a commercial mm-hmm. uh, after he gets knocked down to the floor. So watching it on like DVD, you come immediately back. And he actually gets up fairly quickly after being knocked out. And I got the impression that that was actually much quicker than they expected, than Linnea and Foster expected. Oh. Like, it certainly seemed like he was... He got knocked out and then got up pretty much straight away. With much difficulty, but was able to stand up. Yeah. And they were still looking on in kind of shock. It's like they kind of expected him to be knocked out much longer. Uh, that, that's my take on that. I, I could see that. But meanwhile, while this is happening, uh, back on Moya, we're trying to convince Rigel to, to continue to remove the beacon or to remove the beacon because Rigel is really not used to doing manual labor. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that scene's actually slightly further back. Yeah, I mean... Because we... they realize that Moya is currently succumbing to the gravity. She's not built to withstand actual gravitational yeah. pull on herself, so she's collapsing in on herself, in, in a way. They're like, we can't wait for the anesthetic. Right. We need to operate now. Yeah. So, apparently, something Zan can do, we learn something a bit more about her species and also, guess, her abilities, is that she can share the pain with other creatures... So she's she offers to share the pain with his ship. Yeah, and she explicitly says that it doesn't take away someone's no. pain, but it allows her to share it and, I think, comfort whoever is experiencing the pain. Mm-hmm. And she says that she's Moya is still very, carrying the, the bulk of the pain. She's just taking a part of it. Yeah, and uh, Rigel, you know, quite rightly points out, that's a really big ship. It's like... <laughs> I know. I know. I can, I can do it. So they come up with a plan to get Rigel in to cut out the beacon while Zahn shares Moya's pain. And there's a sort of nice scene between Zahn and Rigel because <laughs> Rigel really doesn't want to do it. Now, at some point, I think the lights go out, Zahn collapses, and then at some point, everything comes back up again. And yeah. Rigel's like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> Screw it. Nope. You, you get someone else to do it. He actually bites Aaron, I think. So yeah. That's, the, technically, this scene is later, but I think it's easier to take these lines more yeah, they're, as they're, they are. Yeah, they're sort of jumping back and forth between yeah. them. But uh, I just like the... There's a scene where you find out that Rigel is kind of... Again, he's out of his depth as well, because he's used to having everyone to do everything for him. Mm-hmm. And as we saw when he was trying to get in and remove the beacon the first time, he was using like a... <laughs> A little tool that they took from Dargo's quarters. Like a little bone knife. Because Moya won't let anything... Or the beacon, rather, won't let anything metal near itself. But 
They said it's, do you know what ritual Lux males use this for? At that time in their lives? I, lo- I love that it's like, it doesn't explicitly say it, but it's very heavily implied that it's a uh, circumcision. Yeah, circumcision of some kind. Yes. I mean, who knows? Circumcision. Sorry. Who, who knows what kind of arrangement Luxons have down there, but <laughs> some, mm-hmm. there's some kind of ritual mm-hmm. involved. <laughs> so, Raizo's very kind of, uh, you know, upset at having to use that. But then in the following scene, when after they, you know, tried to remove it and Moya blacks out effectively. Yeah. Rigel is, you know, confessing to Zan that he doesn't really know how to do anything himself. He doesn't even know how to hold a tool. Yeah, and what I rather really like, it's not that he's saying that it's anybody else's fault. He actually feels guilty for the fact that he, or even ashamed of the fact that he doesn't, he just can't even do this. Yeah, and he says that even when he was in prison, he had people doing things for him. But Zan is able to convince him to remove the beacon, basically by flattering him into doing it. Mm. Oh man, but I I really like this scene. This, yeah. is, this is the type of storytelling I really, 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 really like. Because it's... Not only is the animation, on the, the movement oh. on Rigel's face... Oh, it's so good. ...beautiful. You can really see his... The, yeah, resignation. His, yeah, his his emotions are really well portrayed mm-hmm. with the use of the puppet work, and they do a really phenomenal job. Interestingly, this uh, Rigel's puppet will go through some changes as the series go on because it just they make improvements to it. But even mm-hmm. here, early on, he still looks really good. He looks really good. I like I like how it touches on, as you said, being out of their depth. Rigel's. For, for the pompous bastard we've seen in the last episode, he's <laughs> actually showing some vulnerability. Like, he really can't do anything. Yeah, and he feels bad about that. He, you know. And also, like that, when the, uh, uh, a few scenes earlier, when the puppet is walking with that knife, he's actually holding it very weirdly. Yeah. Which, giving this scene, makes total sense. Well, I think they did a fantastic job because they set up. The fact that it's basically a knife used for lux and circumcision, and then after he's told that, he holds it very much like he's disgusted with it and doesn't yeah. want to touch it, <laughs> which is amazing that they can do that with just you know the little puppet that they have for Rigel, and it's, it's just attention to detail. Oh, uh, so much personality in that little frog man. Yeah. <laughs> he's wonderful. He's also scared of mud. Oh, yeah. A bit right. earlier. Right, very early on at the beginning of the episode when they crash into the mud. He's like, oh, God, we're surrounded by mud. And Aaron said, you're aquatic. That That's fine. He said, no, aquatic is water. This is mud. You can't breathe in it. You can't swim in it. It surrounds you. And, and, and you choke on it. It's like, ooh. Oh, it's like, all right. Ooh. Also, again, remember that he's... He's very sort of stuck-up royalty, so I th- I would imagine that going swimming around in mud is also unbecoming of a dominar. I, I bet that that's also part of it. <laughs> Though I would expect him to actually say that. He's he, I, that's true. Yeah. That's something he start out with. That that's very like true, actually. Yeah, do. good point. So meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the barn, <laughs> uh, you ha- we have John and Linnea basically having a conversation while. Linnea freaks out that she's talking to a real life alien. Yeah, it's not. It's not that just he, he hasn't just stumbled upon a person. 
he stumbled upon somebody who's been looking into the sky, looking for aliens since she was 10. Yeah, that's one of my few complaints about this episode is how incredibly unlikely that is. Ah. It makes for an interesting story, but it's like, oh, the, the one person you happen to run across is somebody who has been looking for aliens. I mean, I, I like that it gives her this form of wonderment. Oh, yeah. She's actually, it's like... All this time they called me crazy, but I was right. Yeah. I was right. Like, all that is great. It's just a little bit contrived that he <laughs> that he actually randomly lands right next to uh, someone who is looking for aliens. Ah, no, no, no. They chose him. Or at, <laughs> least so, or at least so he tells her. Yeah, he actually... he He's not entirely truthful with Linnea no. because he realizes that she's freaking out hugely and is basically trying to mitigate the situation and try and make things go his way without things messing up so he's like well yeah we chose you we we come to you because you we thought you were the only one who would understand without trying to harm us uh, yeah. which is a total lie yeah. <laughs> we crashed here I found your place by accident oops <laughs> <laughs> I like that John is clever enough to be like okay Bluff my way through this. Okay, what, what can I do to get her on my side? Ah, make her feel special. Yep, absolutely. But then he does explain they are looking for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking for Chlorium, and she she doesn't know what that is. She's never heard of that. And she's still, you know, weary because she's never encountered aliens before. And, and then there's a nice scene where John's like, I know how you feel. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. do you? Do you really? You're an alien, dude. This must be normal for you. It's like... <laughs> Or no, not really. no like, I'm, pr- I'm pretty new I, to this shit too. I'm new. He doesn't outright state it. He just says, like, he describes his experience in the last few days. It's like, or last few weeks, I guess. I'd be su- you know, it's like, you'd be surprised. <laughs> then, of course, again, we're cutting back and forth between here and Moya. And mm. then we cut back to Rigel getting ready to start the procedure uh, while Jeanne joins with Moya. And there's a scene where she puts her head against Moya's uh, wall or bulk head or whatever it is. Mm. And you get this nice panning shot around the back of um, Jeanne's head where, where you can really, like, you can see her blue makeup in, like, detail and it's yeah still looks amazing. And then her eyes roll back into her head quite literally. Do they? I, I thought they... From what I recall, they go up into mm-hmm. the back of her head and there's some kind of effect that flips them even further around and, it, and then she's wearing, presumably wearing what looked to be, like, just blue contacts. Oh, Okay. Because I thought I could see a bit of an iris in there. Again, again with the ear, by the way. She puts the, her ear against the wall. Yeah, it's it's very much implied that ears are very uh, important organs for Delphians. I, apparently. They kiss with it. They take pain with it. All that kind of stuff. I, w- I wonder if they take their medicine through their ears. <laughs> lots, like... of, lots of eardrops. <laughs> <laughs> Just stick this pill into your ear. You'll be right in the morning. And then we're back outside with Erin and Dargo, who are... Basically hiding up a tree. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. It's like they're up... It's like... And they have a banter about Luxons in a way. Yeah. They talk about various different things, including, you know, Luxon culture and how Aaron is really not that impressed by them. It's like, you're bloodthirsty, angry people. And it's like, I remember the battle against uh, these aliens and says, look, they were horrible monsters and we had to kill them. And it's like, we were doing what was necessary. And it's like, I'm sure they said the same thing about you. It's like, oh. And to be fair, Aaron has no goddamn moral <laughs> high ground in this discussion. I know. It's like, holy you're, shit. You're a peacekeeper, Aaron. 
I was going to say, it's like I, we, we've seen in the first episode what you people do. No. <laughs> no, you have no moral high ground here. Nope. It's bullshit. Yeah. And they also that said... Was my, that was my reaction the moment she said that. It's like... <laughs> no, it's like, fuck come this. on. Come on. And then they also talk about how... <laughs> or Erin is amazed that this little rock, she calls it, reminds John of home. So it's like, really? This this dump <laughs> reminds John of home? Yeah. He really is a savage. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I love that. So, Jokes at John's expense. <laughs> and so they're both getting tired of waiting, so they hop down from the tree to go look for John. And we're back at the farmhouse and talking to Linnea, and we, it is revealed that she actually works for the military. She's not just looking out for extraterrestrial life, she's doing it for the military. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact that the military doesn't believe it exists. Well, actually, I find it interesting, and I, I got the vibe of that, is that this world is pretty war-torn. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of militaristic things going on, because she's looking for aliens for the military rather than just in a scientific capacity. Yeah, and also because she says the military isn't that nice. Uh, yeah, and then John has a, a scene, a sort of line back to her, which is, well, most militaries aren't. <laughs> No. Um, but she's decided to keep John a secret because she's scared of how the military will actually treat him. They'll probably, you know, take him away apart, and, apart and all that kind of stuff. Do and... you need this arm? Is this your fight? <laughs> oh, you seem to be dead. Well, stuff like. So while they're doing this, of course, she's actually making him some food. They're making some soup, mm-hmm. and as soon as she puts the soup down in front of him, John's uh, detector just starts going nuts. It's like, oh. I found some chlorium. It's in the soup. <laughs> Which freaks everybody out. Yeah, especially John. He's like, what is this? What? What is this? And it's like, it's in the food? It's, it's in, in the food? He's Maybe. very confused. Yeah, and he's also a bit upset. He actually grabs the stun baton at some point, and, and uh, Foster and Linnea are, like, scared, hugging each other, and at some point, John realizes, like, oh, I'm, wait, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being an asshole here. Yeah, I'm scaring these people. Yeah, and he just hands back, he just flips the baton, he says, I'm sorry, and he just hands it back. Yeah, his facade of the cool alien coming yeah. down to contact, contact your people has kind of broken because they really desperately need the chlorium. Mm-hmm. And he picks up a jar of something from the side and says, it's, which has an even greater concentration of it. It's like, it's in this, it's like, I need whatever is in here. And she doesn't tell him what is actually in here. So here's my theory about what this is. It's salt? Salt, yeah. yeah like it's salt of, of some kind. Give me a sec here, because are they actually being far more clever than I thought? Oh, well, yes, sodium, yes well, they are. Sodium salt, chloride. Salt is sodium chloride. You know, they call it, they say chlorium, which is... <gasps> oh, yeah. oh, that's clever. That's yeah. really clever. So it's kind of set up that it's a made-up space element. But it's actually but just it's, salt. But it's hinted at that it's actually just salt. I mean, even if you take it's it's a combination of the two of both sodium sodium and chloride. Just you take the, the first bit of the last word and the last bit of the first word, and you have chlorium. Exactly. So, huh. That's never made explicit, but I, it's heavily implied that what they're actually looking for is salt. That's actually nice. Yeah, I had not realized that. Yeah, because it's in a big container in the kitchen, and it's in the food, and it's called and Glorium. It's, it, it even has that, the holes in the top. Yeah, like it, like it would be shaken out over some over something. It's actually salt. Tellingly, John doesn't actually realize this. Yeah, that's. I'm actually. I'm kind of 
Um, I'm a little surprised he didn't. Disappointed. Yeah. Come on, John, you're a scientist, damn it. Yeah, you should have figured this one out. <laughs> and just to make matters worse, the military turns up. Hello. <laughs> like, we are the military. We're here. You you seem to uh, the call seemed to have been to have dropped, <laughs> yeah, literally. Be because I mean, Moya crashing into the mud did not go unnoticed. Not just by Linnea, like the military spotted it as well independently, because it's a big spaceship crashing in a swamp not very far away. You would have to be kind of very inattentive to not notice that. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, why haven't you been calling us? We thought you'd be all over this. And she's like, oh, you know, I, I just want to make sure. She's actually, mm -hmm. you know, imp trying to do the defense of, you know, scientific rigor. And I want to make sure this is actually an alien. Yeah, before I get too excited. <laughs> while, it's, while hiding John in Fostero's bedroom, basically. <laughs> the general is like, well, we have confirmed sighting. And he's like, yeah, and last month... We had another confirmed sighting, and it turned out to be nothing at all. Yeah. I like that she's actually bringing up previous cases. Like, no, no, this, this, she's not lying very convincingly, but what she's no. saying is actually pretty, pretty clever. Yeah, and that's what you would expect in you know from any kind of situation like this, uh, both fictionally and in real life. It's like you want to make sure it's aliens before jumping to conclusions. Mm -hmm. The fact that she's hiding a literal alien in her bedroom, in her son's bedroom, <laughs> kind of undercuts the whole thing. I'm actually surprised that they don't realize right away that there's something wrong. Well, okay, so we'll skip over the scene that they come back, cut back to because, you know, they go cut back to Moya during this. But yeah, the, they actually don't get enough time to work out that something's wrong because Dargo turns up. Yeah, turns out. <laughs> Dargo actually went looking for Crichton, and Aaron went back to the ship. And they're like, we found one! We found one! What's actually happening back on the ship uh, is Rigel is, you know, cutting the beacon out, and it is causing Moya intense pain. Mm -hmm. And that's when, uh, that's when Moya actually blacks out. Yeah, and Aaron is, at that point, also arrives around the same time. Yeah, Pilot informs them that Moya is collapsing once everything starts up again. Is not, again, not designed to survive in planetary gravity. Nope. Never evolved to do that. It's kind of the reverse of it, but it's like taking uh, something from the deep sea and putting it on, you know, dry land. It just pops. Yeah, or doing the reverse. Like, the bodies are not designed to withstand gravity. They're much larger and less structurally rigid than they would need to be to live on a planet or something. Mm -hmm. Which, again, like, it's a really nice touch because... That makes a lot of sense. That's like m making a spaceship that can go between uh, planets and space is actually really hard. <laughs> it's, you need to survive a lot of, let alone entry and re-entry, you need to be able to withstand different amounts of pressure in different directions. Yeah, and especially... Inside and outside. And the larger your ship gets, the harder that becomes. And Moira, exactly. is, Moira is really big. <laughs> she's, she's, a, she's a big girl. Yeah. She's a big girl. <laughs> What I also like about this scene is that uh, after this is after Zahn has her talk with Rigel, mm. that she also briefly talks with Eren, and that Eren asks her, "How how are you holding up?" Yeah, because uh, <laughs> you know Zahn is quite visibly shaken by all of this. This is not easy for her no. to do, and actually her response to being asked, "How are you doing?" is actually she just starts laughing about it. 
And Aaron gets mad, like, are you mocking me? He's like, no, no, I just thought for a moment you actually cared how I felt. It's like, no, no, I care you performing your function. Exactly, and Aaron Aaron lies. Aaron, yeah, we're starting to see her actually start to care about the people on the ship. Yeah. But she still has that peacekeeper facade of, I'm only concerned about the mission. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, 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 I don't care about you, I only care about... The mission. Mission. Yeah, the mission. Yeah, That's and John is like, oh, of course you do. Of course. <laughs> Peacekeepers, all the same. <laughs> but I, I, I actually like that they, at that point, they continue with the operation. Yeah, because, you know, they say, how are you holding up? Can you do it? And John says, yes, I'll, I will keep, we'll keep going. And as they start up again, she has trouble. She's uh, standing at one of the... I guess one of the support structures of yeah. the one, touching her ear against it, and the pain is causing her to fall down. Yeah, and Erin basically props her up, pushing yeah. her against the against the wall to make and sure I, that she stays in contact with. Yeah, and she, she actually asks her to do that. Yeah, and I like that moment that Erin is actually like, "I'll help you with this." She's not; she's helping. Yeah, and she's kind of seeing how. How much Zahn uh, is willing to go through mm-hmm. to save them? How much she's willing to sacrifice? Which is, yeah, rather a lot because it's causing an immense amount of pain. I I can't imagine. Like I I'd rather not imagine. It's kind of hard to watch because Rigel is performing this necessary surgery, which is causing so much pain. And like, rather than stop it, it's like no, we have to go through with it. It's like oh yeah, there's oh. there's no other option. So, anyway, we cut back to the farmhouse with John uh, actually talking to Linnea about wormholes. Uh, I like that. And she's, because he's decided to, you know what, okay, I'm not going to lie to you anymore. It's, it's in, I might as well just tell you the truth about myself. Yeah. And she also, and she also finds out that he, you didn't actually choose me, did you? No. Yeah, she figures that out. Because as soon as he says, like, I'm actually new to all this, I got sucked through a wormhole, which she actually knows as ribbon holes. <laughs> like, Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I got you know sucked through a wormhole and haven't really been here very long and I'm still getting used to all of this and I really don't know what I'm doing and like she's she figures out that okay then you didn't really choose me, did you? No. We We didn't. No. <laughs> and we're 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 actually escaped prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> this is when Dargo has shown up and has been captured by the military yeah. commander, whose name is Rymax. Ah, Rymax. Yeah, yeah. We, we alluded to that slightly before. We're really doing this out of order. We are. It's, it's because I think it keeps coming back and yeah. forth. And if we were, it's, it's really hard to juggle all those pieces. Yeah. I mean, something like, I think I just forgot to mention the guy's name earlier. <laughs> I think that's, I, that's all it is. I don't really care for his name <laughs> that's the thing he's he's only in a few scenes and is yeah kind of there just to antagonize uh Dago and john but exactly anyway he tells Linnea that she and foster have to leave because they've you know captured a dangerous alien and it's not safe for them and so she tells john that he has to leave before it's too late but he says nope i'm not leaving without Dago. i'm not leaving without my friend Damn it, John, don't be a hero. <laughs> no God one gets left behind. I... Uh, well, guy already has a hero complex. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, 
he's an American astronaut, so... <laughs> Fair point, actually. That's almost part of the job description. I mean, in, in, so, in the pilot episode, he has, like, a chat with his dad about what kind of hero he can be. It's it's very... It's clearly set up. He, at least early on, has some kind of hero complex. Yeah, exactly. So then there's a scene where, as part of his explanation of, no, they don't all look like me, we're all a bunch of different people and he's trying to get back in touch with the ship because he lost his communicator he uses Linnea's equipment to radio or to send a signal through to pilot which pops up on on her screen and she is very uh, freaked out and amazed and he's yeah. like and he has the line of this is more what you were expecting wasn't it and he's like <laughs> and she's like yeah <laughs> which is I don't, th- I don't think she says anything I just I think she just nods yeah it's like yes and again, that's that's a fun bit of, again, kind of meta commentary on the fact that they're in an alien world with people who actually look human, but there's also loads of really weird-looking aliens. Yeah, exactly. He's not just talking about her. He's actually, he's kind of also referring to himself, or like he's using his experience to talk mm. to her about it because, you know, he ran into a bunch of human-looking things and was like, no, no, this is more what I was expecting. <laughs> Six arms, giant body. Yeah, weird eyes. Yep, that, that's what I meant. That, that's oh. what I was looking for. Actually, can I just quickly? All right, so we talked about like Rigel's puppet is very expressive, mm-hmm. but there are a couple of scenes with uh, because Pilot has been talking about you know how to help Moira and what they can do, and it actually shows uh, Pilot in close up because when he was doing that, he was actually talking to Zahn face to face. Yeah, and God, his face is is. Puppet is also so incredibly expressive. It's really good. He's got like individual. He has different expressions, eye movements. You can see when he's surprised, when he's, you know, sad. It's, oh, it's so good. They really, they really did a, lo- a good job. And we also see his chamber actually for the first time in this episode, where he's housed, which seems to be in some sort of. In, I the, guess. in the bowels of the ship. Yeah. Although it's it's a living ship, so maybe not literally in the bowels. <laughs> <laughs> he's not actually swimming in acid. <laughs> no. He's somewhere deep inside Moya, and doesn't seem like he can actually leave there. He's just no. he's always always in the pilot's seat, so to speak. And yeah. You have like little catwalks going away from there, where DRDs are going back and forward. Yeah. Uh, presumably it, it seems... receiving instructions and going away. It seems it seems to be somewhere suspended, actually in a hollow room, somewhere yeah. in the middle of it, which yeah. is it looks really cool. Mm. But yeah, pilot's puppet, his oh, his face is, and he's got like, however many limbs. And I think I was, I think I read about this when I was when we were doing the pilot episode, in that it was the largest puppet I think that Jim Henson Company had built Ooh. at the time. I would love to see the control panel for Pilot because I would imagine oh, it's man. massive. And being able to use that to make him interact like that, holy crap! Yeah, there's really you know you have to give a shout out to the puppeteers who worked with you know Rigel and Pilot and many other characters throughout the series, but Rigel and Pilot have basically appeared in almost every episode. Yeah, they're they're pretty core to the cast those things and that's the voice actors and the puppeteers mm. and they both you know do a really great job and i i, I just really love Pi- i really love pilot's design he's yeah. he's such a unique alien and has so much personality that he's yeah i think he's one of my favorite characters from the whole series 
I'm I'm per- personally partial to Rigel, but that's mostly also because he's kind of a dick. And I like those <laughs> yeah. I like those characters. Uh, but anyway, that's that's just an aside because I yeah I really love his pilot's design and his whole movement just uh, it's so well done. And so so, so join join us next week when we continue gushing over uh, yeah. <laughs> gushing over Jim Henson puppets basically basically. But uh, anyway, back to the story. Uh, Linnea has been shown pilot and is you know amazed and and is uh, astounded by by him and you know he's coming in over the, the sort of grainy television <laughs> yeah. fading in and out but uh, but of course John is trying to get away and take Dargo with him and Linnea manages to actually right she shows Rymax pilot yeah she shows the recording of uh, that conversation they just had with yeah. John and he's like, look, he's like, look, aliens, more aliens. And he's like, wow, oh, we have to get them. And she actually gives him coordinates. She said, I know where this transmission is coming from. And gives him the completely the wrong coordinates. Yeah, just sends him on a wild goose chase. Just to get him out of there. And so he leaves and takes a bunch of his soldiers with him, which leaves much fewer people guarding Dargo. In fact, I think it's only two people. Who is... Yeah, it's only two guards. And Dargo is at this point chained up in a barn, in the barn. He's sort of hanging... His arms are being sort of tie- tied to a beam, and he's just sort of—he <laughs> tries to whip out his lash out with his anesthetic tongue. But since they're all wearing, you know, soldier armor or gear and stuff, they're they're perfectly fine. I like actually that they basically just covered the faces of all the soldiers with armor, so they didn't have to do extra uh, makeup. Yeah, uh, makeup. It's like <laughs> here, put on a helmet. Problem solved. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're all, they're all wearing kind of like stormtroopery gas masks. Yeah things and it's like no we can afford to do the makeup for three people yes <laughs> not more. you wear helmets exactly <laughs> which you know makes sense from a production point of view it works fine yeah and so we have this very also i th- i'm pretty sure we never actually find out the name of the species or the name of this planet at all mm. so i don't know what to call them like the whatever they are but anyway, we, we find out that these guards are basically terrible. Yeah. <laughs> because um, Fostro is able to distract them by picking up John's communicator, and it, which was dropped on the barn earlier, and is sort of walking towards Dargo, holding it out, and there's a, like, get back, son, you know, get back. And then John picks up a shovel and brains both of them. It's like, get shoveled, bang. <laughs> like, he hits both of the guards in the back of the head, who, by the way, are wearing helmets with a shovel, and they fall down. <laughs> I'm actually, to be completely honest, I'm, it doesn't surprise me that much. I'm, I'm surprised he got. I'm not surprised he got the first one down. I'm surprised the second one didn't shoot him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got brain the... one. Okay, what now? What? Because the other one's gonna. Oh, you, oh, it's already down. <laughs> yeah, you get you get the sneak attack on the first guy. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, you're, not supposed... <laughs> you're not supposed. You're not supposed to get. Uh, I guess actually he got the sneak attack on the first guy and he got the surprise round on the other guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they're able to very, very easily <laughs> rescue Darko. <laughs> Sorry, I just had the image in my head that actually we're watching some, some weird D&D or actually sci-fi RPG game. <laughs> I, Funnily enough, I thought the exact same thing about... Just, just from watching the first episode of like, this actually feels more like a D&D adventure. <laughs> Because you're being introduced to all these characters, uh, and it is kind of like one of the, the classic RPG hooks is you're all 
You're all thrown in prison together. <laughs> Actually, that's true. There, there's you all meet in the tavern. Then there's you all get thrown into prison together. And, and it's actually a good point. And Jean is the priest. Dargo is mm-hmm. a warrior or fighter. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Rigel is bard. Bard. Yeah. Definitely the bard. Bard. Completely useless, but has very good charisma. Um, I don't know what Crichton is in this situation. Oh no no no! Uh, Aaron is, I guess, the other fighter. Yeah, but she's, like she's kind of like a lawful evil fighter. Yeah. <laughs> the character that actually wants to play the evil uh, evil one. And John is the player that that's like, but I really want to play this race from this other D&D <laughs> setting. Okay, like, well, just get, like, you know what? You come in through a, a wormhole or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's exactly how they solved that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's a good comparison. It's, 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 it's oh, I love it. There, there is that thing of like, I got my action round, I got my move in, and I hit the exactly, guy, and I bam, hit the other guy, bam. and I used my sneak attack. On. <laughs> so after that show of poor military um, training, they uh, free Dargo, and I like that that um, Crichton is like, uh, this was more what you were expecting, right? Go ahead, give him a hand, he don't bite. <laughs> and Dargo is like, Dargo doesn't actually talk back to him. Dargo's like, he shakes the hand of Fostro. Yeah, and it's like okay. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to get angry. This is a kid. No. I'm not going to be an asshole. Why, while still kind of giving that sort of menacing glare yeah, with with l- with like a smile of like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so all the conflict has been resolved, and Linnea gives him bags of. I think it's supposed to be just salt. Salt from her salt. kitchen. Just big bags of it, and says, "Okay, here's what you need. We have to say goodbye now." And you know. You know, he she's kind of obviously upset that uh, John and Dargo have to go, but uh, he's like, we can't stay. We can't really, you know, tell you anything else about what's uh, going on because we have to get away from here. You need to hurry because we're, our ship is dying. We're on the run. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and he gives her a good bite, peck on the cheek or <laughs> half on the mouth. Yeah, I guess. And and she's like. Mm, that was weird. He said, and he said, "Is that not how people say goodbye on your planet?" Is that like, no, not really. But I, I like her face at that point. It's like, but she wasn't opposed to it. No, she, she like that. I got the impression she's kind of into him. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, the actually the thing that reminded me that scene of is like, John, don't be Kirk. Please don't do that. <laughs> you could see he was thinking it a little bit because. Yeah. Also, that place reminded him of home a lot. Yeah, right? that's true. They looked a lot alike. And well, and also just he he had a bit of that feeling when he when they touched down at the beginning of the episode where he's looking around. It's like this looks just like Louisiana. It's like this yeah. feels like home, even though I know it's not. And he, I kind of got the impression that at least part of him wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. Aaron actually asks him that you're not as they fly off. You're not going to miss that rock, right? He says, "Well, not this, not the rock." Yeah, and I'm still not sure if he means not this rock, or that he might actually be missing uh, Linnea. Linnea. I, I think it's both. Like, it's I think it's supposed to be both. Like, mm. he, it's reminded him of home, so he's you know he's missing Earth even more, but he is also missing Linnea and Foster. Yeah. yeah, there's a, there's a nice thing as well where he says that I wish I could stay and do more. And she's like, you just basically confirmed that aliens exist. You've done quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ah, it's probably enough for one day. One day. Right. And so they get back to Moya, and 
Funnily enough, by the time they get back, Rigel has actually managed to remove the uh, beacon entirely. Yeah, and he uh, starts... He's like, hey, Rigel, start spreading this around. Yeah, and so... It's like, spreads it around, takes a hand, stuffs it in his mouth, like, goes some on. Some for you, some for me, some for... And, like, <laughs> again, that really happens... That's probably salt. It's like it's definitely salt. It's it's just salt. Yeah, definitely. But I, I like that. Kind of by the time they get back, like it's already been taken care of. But they need the anesthetic to actually take off because Moira is still in a lot of pain. Yeah, and I also like that. There's two very nice shots slash scenes here. The first one is when Zon is waking up and Aaron is standing over, making sure that she's okay. That the fr- the only word that Zon says is. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing else, just ouch. Ow. <laughs> underselling it a bit. And there's also that beautiful shot that she's lying there, close to the hole that Rigel went into, and he pops out, lies down, being like, I'm exhausted. And they're just lying next to each other, <laughs> facing different... Yeah. Both facing the ceiling, but heads uh, sticking the different directions. And they're like... It's just a nice shared moment where they're like, yeah. okay, this is something we did. Yeah, and it, it's kind of setting up that that close bond or friendship between John and Rigel. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if these two get along better and better as the series goes yeah. on. Because she earlier she proved that she's very good at convincing him to do stuff and actually kind of understands his mm. uh, understands him and you know I don't want to say mani- manipulates him into doing it, but you know yeah. she understands how to appeal to Rigel. She's a bit of the group therapist, I feel. Yeah, definitely. Like, 100%. And and Rigel, actually, you see that he actually has a lot of respect for her because, you know, she's a, she takes the pain of the entire ship or, you know, shares the pain. And Rigel seems to respect her for it. And then, but then while they're lying there, he just says, never again. <laughs> never doing that again. You can see from Zan's face, like, ah, I kind of agree with that. Like, I don't want to do that ever again, again either. <laughs> And yeah, and then Moya flies off into the sunset, or something like that. And that's where the episode ends. So yeah, it's, I I really like this. Yeah, I thought this was a nice episode. I thought there was there were a few kind of hokey bits with the you know the uh, alien planet with the, it's basically Earth but with people with funny ears. <laughs> I think I think it actually works because yeah. they also acknowledge the fact that they don't look that different. They don't try to be like. Oh, this is a completely different species. No, like, they're all kind of surprised they look alike. Yeah, as they should be. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and like we said before, this makes way more sense as a very, like a very, very early episode. This works perfectly fine as episode two. Yeah, very much. And it also, uh, it also, it serves like a couple of purposes. It serves to, you know, get everybody working together and start cooperating because we had that right at the end of the pilot episode of premiere and now it's like no okay we have to work together to to fix this like you have Jean and Rigel trying to you know work together to take out the thing and you have Dargo Crichton and Aaron looking for all the uh, chlorium Aaron helping Zahn yep all of that stuff it's like no okay we have to become a crew rather than just individuals there's a lot of really what I really like about this is because there's a lot of nice character moments in this episode. Yeah. If there's something, if you want me excited about something, give me character development. Oh yeah, definitely. Just keep it coming. Keep Absolutely. It coming. Um, 
And the other thing that this episode does is it kind of keeps John, I guess, grounded. Like, he's reminded of home, and it, it kind of reinforces that connection for him of really missing his uh, home. There's one point that doesn't get addressed in the episode, I feel like. Linnea is basically going to jail, because let's be honest here, once they find out what she's done, they'll I mean, be like, ooh. The impression you get at the end is that they managed to get away with it, because... Yeah, but she's going to have to be very convincing if she can come up with a very good reason why she sent them to the wrong position. Well, I think they might... I think they might be covered by the fact that they they will probably see that Moya flies away. Like, that'll probably be something they detect. Yeah, but they probably find the enormous hole that Moya left. Which is not where she said it was. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's mostly what I'm worried about, but... I'm, I mean, I, I don't think it's that heavily set up. I think it's just... No. That's just something I saw. Like, she's going to jail. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. It's, I, I know it sounds looks like a nice ending, but realistically speaking, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Why you have to ruin this for I'm sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I, I bet she can... She's she's smart. She's probably got some time to fake some stuff. Yeah, exactly. Or say that you know my readings were wrong, and actually I triangulated it to this position instead. Yeah, it was like decimal point wrong. It's like oh, sorry, sent yeah. you in the exact opposite direction. Forgot I'm very to sorry. Forgot to carry the one. Or exactly. Something like that. So what do we think? I I would rate this pretty well. I would... uh, I I give it a four on the five uh, one to five scale. Looking at the website Farscape World dot com where they have they have reviews of all the episodes and this one is actually rated at an average re- an average score of about two point seven. They have no taste. Mm. I yeah, I would definitely rate it higher than that. I think it's, it's actually really good. Yeah, it's a very good episode and it's it's kind of a, a lot slower paced than than Premiere, definitely. Yeah, it's it's slower paced and I like that it, it gets I mean it is it doesn't feel as crowded as the first episode and for some reason it feels longer. It feels like something is actually happening instead of being like, okay, now we need to do this, and now we need to do this, and now we need to do this. Yeah. Okay, we're done. It's telling one story instead of about six. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I thought that I thought that was very good. I I enjoyed it. I gave it a four. Yeah, I would agree with that. So there we go. That was IET. Perfectly fine and works very well and definitely episode two. Not episode four. Not episode <laughs> seven. <laughs> episode two. If, uh, if they keep coming, if, if they keep being like this, I'm uh, I'm completely on board with the show. Oh yeah. So speaking of which, our next episode, episode three, is going to be Exodus from Genesis, and we'll be talking about that next week on yes. the Fastgate Rewatch podcast. Uh, that is it for this week. I have been Can't Buy Hats, and joining me has been Red Nightmare. And you can find us on Twitter at Can't Buy Hats and at at Fedokin in Tree. Fedokin in Tree. And if you want to support this podcast which is in fact brought to you by people like you there is the can't wear hats patreon which is patreon.com slash can't wear hats the in fact the entire existence of this podcast is all thanks to that and thanks to you and we hope to have many more things to come from that yes and we want to finish the entire series yes we we want to make sure that we see this through to the end but yeah that's it from me and from red nightmare and from everybody we will see you next time goodbye bye Okay, okay. I'm going down to the shop. Do you, do you need any chlorium? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, can you pick up some uh, sodium while you're there? I'll make sure to get some fluorium as well. <laughs> yeah. Do they sell any water? The hell's water? <laughs>